We think we're so clever, we humans. We come up with all kinds of new ideas, all kinds of inventions, but it's kind of scary how often our most brilliant innovations blow up in our faces. Take plastic, for example. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's great to have you with us here on Signs Radio. I'm in COVID-19 lockdown mode, (laughs) recording from my house on a handheld audio recorder. So if the audio quality is not quite the same as in the studio, that's what's going on. And I'm talking to one of one of our authors who's written a great article in the March magazine, the March Signs of the Times. It's Julie Hoey. How are you, Julie? I'm very well, thank you, Kent. Excellent, excellent. So, Julie, you've written this article for us called that addresses the issue of not so fantastic plastic. And certainly, you know, over the last couple of years, people have become a lot more aware of the issue of plastics. And we're beginning to hear phrases like, you know, single use plastic. We've had supermarkets ban or or at least make us pay for for shopping bags and and, and things like that. Do Do you get the sense that this whole issue of plastic is something that's sort of on the radar, perhaps more than it has been in the past? Yeah, definitely. As I read in one place, they were sort of saying that there was so much plastic around us in our everyday lives that we just took it for granted and didn't think twice about it. It was such a big part of our lives. But yes, definitely in the last two or three years, it's become a huge issue as people have realised the plastic waste, I think, was initially, you know, really the big thing that people started seeing and realising that there was a problem yeah, it's it's a complex issue, isn't it? Because I guess it's it's about technology, it's about consumerism, it's about I guess just the properties of, of the material itself. But I think what you've done in your article is really interesting because you you've gone right back to the origins of where you know what what we call plastic today, where these plastics actually came from. Can you give us a, a thumbnail sketch of the the history of of plastic? Yeah, well, I guess you'll get slightly different stories depending on where you do your research, but the general truth, as as best it can be obtained looking back several decades, was that originally uh, plastic sort of came into being by the desire to get a better material to make billiard balls balls with because they were using ivory from elephant tusks, which... Obviously, in this day and age, we look at that and think how horrific it is from an animal, you know, rights and animal care point of view. Mm-hmm. But from from the perspective back then, it was the fact that being a natural material, it had lots of imperfections and, and didn't always, you know, hold its shape. It was subject to, you know, warping and, and changing shape with the weather and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you could get a huge shipment of ivory tusks and only a small percentage of it would be suitable for making balls. You know, it had to be a good enough diameter and all that sort of thing. So it's, you know, this, the story is that this led led someone to say, come on, let's try and find a better material. 
and that's where it all started, that they were looking for a better material to make billiard balls with. Balls with. They, they found it, they created it, they started making things with it. Then the war came and they discovered all the incredible things that they were able to make and use to supply the war effort. Mm. Is, is this First uh, World War or Second World War? Which, which, which war? I think we are talking the Second World War. Right, okay. Um, yeah, during World War Two, basically. Uh, production in the United States tripled in terms of plastic. Mm. Um, but then at the end of the war, they had all these plastic manufacturing factories and no more war effort needed. So that's when consumerism came in. They started you know, looking at how they could use this in everyday life, mm. which is often the case. A lot of things that we take for granted in everyday life often have come from a military need initially. Yeah. So it, it was initially yeah, trying to make a better product that served their purposes better. Mm. And, I, you know, I, I obviously we're really glad now in this day and age that, you know, they stopped that reliance on elephant tusks, at least one element of reliance. But unfortunately, that probably wasn't their, their focus at the time, but it's a happy byproduct. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, as you say, very much a matter of technology. You know, technology is just seeing a problem and trying to find a solution. So, just, you know, we've got these great people in our society who see a problem and try to solve it and try to find a better way of doing things, a better way of making things. And that's where plastic came from and yeah, all the yeah. many different types of plastics that we have now. Yeah, I, I remember my when I was a kid, my mum sort of retelling the story of how when she was just a, a little girl in the 1950s and there was this amazing new product called Bakelite. Yes. And, and, you know, how incredibly revolutionary this was and, hey, it's hard and you can drop it and it won't break and, you know, in terms of making plates and, and this sort of stuff, I mean, at that point it was like, wow, plastic, it's this miracle product it can be mass produced so much cheaper it it was an absolute revolution and and i guess you know the 1950s were a time of you know that sort of post-war prosperity and so i guess the time was social change yeah yeah yeah, the time was ripe for a whole lot of new products to to sort of come on the market now julie you have a a background as a science teacher yes so can can you explain to us, like when we when we talk about plastic, what exactly is it like from a, a chemistry point of view? Yeah. Just don't get into too much detail because I'll, I'll start to glaze <laughs> over. But can can you give us a sort of a thumbnail sketch? Yeah. So plastic is actually an adjective rather than a noun, as we tend to use it. And right. so a a substance that is plastic. We might also think of it as having a plasticity, mm. which means it can be moulded and shaped and right. into whatever shape we want it to be. Right. So, um, so sometimes we talk about neuroplasticity, which we're talking about the brains of children and young people, that they have very plastic mm. brains in, in the sense that their brains are able to be formed and new pathways are able to be formed in them very easily. So this is a, a similar idea, but I guess a more more physical product of something exactly. that's, that's pliable, that's able to be moulded and... Yeah, so um, the more correct chemical term is a polymer, Mm -hmm. uh, which just means that you've got a a unit, a a molecular unit Mm. that is repeated over and over again, so very long-chain polymers, and they're able to sort of slip and slide past each other at a, you know, at a micro level, Mm. which is what makes them plastic or mouldable. Right, Um, right. And so really... 
And another term that you might come across is the term thermoplastic, which means when you heat it up, you're able to remould it into another shape. And so that's where we get, you know, our recyclable plastics and that sort of thing from. Okay. Uh, to, All right. To a certain degree. Yeah, there's and other ways of recycling as well. But And are they uh, like petroleum products at their basis? Is this taken from, from oil and, and things like that? Yes, that's right. So that's... One of the issues with plastic is that the majority, well, during this boom time and the golden years of plastic, that they have been produced from petroleum. So mm. we've got the added issue of all those sorts of pollution issues and, and running out of the source material issues and that mm. sort of thing and, and mm. environmental mining issues and so on. Yeah, you, you point out in your article that this new miracle product was incredible because hey it lasts forever it's incredible oh you know we won't ever have to buy a you know another one of these again and and this actually turned out to be the downfall of plastic because it lasts forever in landfill (laughs) that's right exactly yeah and doesn't last forever well enough to to really last forever it particularly a lot of the ones that you know, we see now they, they do start to fade and chip and crack and that sort of thing. I mean, I certainly, I actually still have some plastic bowls and containers of a certain brand that I maybe shouldn't mention from my <laughs> mother's early married life. I still have them working perfectly well in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they sort of, they do have that longevity. Yeah. Um, and yes, exactly. The, their miracle property became their worst element. Yeah. I think you're talking about Tupperware then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I understand, but although I have Tupperware products in my house that I'm, I'm looking for a, a Tupperware representative to give me some new lids that actually fit because they don't fit anymore. So, you know, so they were supposed to come with a lifetime guarantee, weren't they? Very good with their lifetime guarantee, I believe. But yes, the ones from my mother's era are still going strong. <laughs> wow. No, that's, that, that's incredible. So what, what efforts have been made to, I guess, you know, we mentioned before, you know, we're looking at single, you know, why do we have single use plastics should we stop doing that supermarkets have you know in in australia have decided not to provide us free plastic bags anymore are there other particular efforts that that are being made to sort of reduce uh, i guess there's recycling isn't there Mm, well i suppose there's the mantra the reduce to reuse recycle mantra in all sorts of environmental concerns so in terms of getting rid of single-use plastics you know that's focusing on the reduce you know attack Mm. trying to reduce our reliance on single-use plastics because yeah that's just straight out contributing to plastic waste you know completely unnecessarily in so many cases so i guess reuse is is where we're looking at finding other ways you know to Mm. repurpose things Uh, that's not necessarily a huge focus for plastics necessarily recycling you know we put a lot of efforts into recycling over the past probably 20 years and then we discovered a couple of years ago that a lot of it wasn't actually being recycled it was being shipped off to other countries that needed our money and one of those major countries china decided that they didn't want most of our recycling anymore so that was a big wake-up for, call for Australians who, you know, thought they were all doing the right thing by putting everything in the recycling bin and sorting all their recycling and so on, and only to discover that probably the end result was nowhere near the magnitude that they thought it was in terms yeah. of how much was being recycled. Yeah. What's the difficulty there? Is is it that it just costs too much to pay people to recycle or is it that the technical process of recycling doesn't produce the 
right kind of plastic or enough plastic? Like, do you have a sense of what, what the barriers are there? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know why we were taking it offshore, although I guess we do that with a lot of things, send out, send out problems overseas or whatever. And there have been a lot of efforts to find ways to recycle. And, you know, I mean, people have been making furniture with recycled plastic, making road base with, with crushed up plastic and that sort of thing. It, it may just be a factor of the incredible volume of plastic waste that we produce that it's just hard to find enough, you know, to, to make enough products to deal with that recycling as being one of the problems, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even locally uh, around where I live, I there's a company where you can, you know, schools and institutions can send their plastic product to and plastic waste and actually get furniture back to put in their workplaces and, you know, around the schoolyard and that sort of thing. Right, right. The efforts are there, but I I think part of the problem on a worldwide global scale is just the huge volume of plastic waste that we produce and possibly also that, you know, there may be other countries that don't have the infrastructure and the finances to operate recycling programs to Mm, the extent mm. that need to be done perhaps when i was a kid we just used to chuckle this in the incinerator do you remember when everyone yes. in, in the backyard had an incinerator <laughs> which That's is right, just a, exactly. a, a polite word yes. for a, just burn it and let all these exactly. toxic fumes go yeah, it's, it's sort of pretty pretty horrific isn't it now i mean obviously yeah. you know most of us are, are aware of you know recycling and council recycling we like you say most of us try to do the right thing and we're i guess crossing our fingers and hoping that our you know our government's going to do a, a better job perhaps you know sorting this out in, in in the near future but in your article julie you mention a number of really interesting quite innovative solutions to mm. the issues of, of plastic can you just um, run through some of those for us because they, they were quite fascinating i don't yeah. re- reckon a lot of our listeners would have heard of some of these before yeah so there's as i mentioned you've got reduce reuse recycle and i think um, perhaps another one we could add on there as far as plastic goes is re-engineer mm. so there's two sort of main pathways that a, a lot of researchers and so on are going down one of the pathways is trying to make plastic biodegradable so that's its big problem as we've identified that it just doesn't break down so they're looking at all sorts of different organisms that have maybe developed the ability to biodegrade plastic naturally, finding the enzymes responsible, tweaking those enzymes so that they can look realistically on a large scale to actually biodegrade the plastic back down to its Mm. original molecules, so to speak, so that, you know, it can actually go back in more into the the sort of life cycle, I suppose, the the ecosystem sort of thing. So, yeah, there's been quite a few different discoveries and research along that pathway of of finding either bacteria, microorganisms or enzymes that can actually biodegrade the the plastic that we currently use. Mm, So that's mm. one pathway. The other pathway is it's sort of becoming full circle in some ways and going back to where we used to be, that we're looking at making plastics from non-petroleum bases so using more you know natural products again rather than synthetic product products so that that plastic then becomes inherently biodegradable Mm, we don't have mm. to look for organisms that will biodegrade it so So, so, uh, um, is cellulose one, one of those that's right. Cellulose is basically what forms the the wall in the cells of plants. Mm-hmm. So 
animals and including humans, we don't have a wall around ourselves. We just have a membrane, whereas plants have a much hardier wall and that's made from cellulose. So plants and you know, trees and bark and, you know, all sorts of plant um, tissues have heaps of cellulose in it and that's, you know, one area. So we're looking at sugar cane derived bioplastic, bioplastic film like glad wrap type of thing made from cotton pro- processing waste. So all that sort of thing. Corn starch is being used to create fibres for clothing rather than using polyesters and those sorts of synthetic fibres that we you know, are really just a plastic in a sense. Yeah, so that's one avenue. The other avenue is one that really interests me is a company that's using a cellophane-like bioplastic produced by bees oh, as a wow. nesting material. They're, they're actually trying to find the gene that tells the bees, the bees how to make that material and actually then use that DNA, you know, inject it into bacteria and get the bacteria to produce that material en masse. So, yeah, there is some amazing research going on. And even since I wrote that article, you know, you just keep seeing more and more different types of research and development that's going on around the world trying to make plastic that is inherently biodegradable. And the only problem, of course, is we're, we're getting, you know, a lot of those examples that I gave, they're using the waste products from industries that already exist, which mm. is great, closing that loop a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I can see we have to be very careful that we could become so reliant on it that we might run out of waste product. We may not have enough waste product to that, that we need. And, and then again, you, you know, you might start sort of ripping into nature, trying to you know, get the source material once again and we sort of might get back to that original point where we were, you know, we decimated the elephant population yeah. um, getting the ivory from their tusks. So I know in this day and age, from a research and development perspective, they, you know, our researchers do try to think through the whole life cycle and really think ahead to where it's going to go and what the potential problems and implications are. So that's that's hopefully, you know, going to be happening in all of this sort of research that's going on. Yeah, and I guess that's the theme of your article in some ways, isn't it? This whole idea of unintended consequences that, you know, we we humans are, are so clever and we come up with all these amazing technologies, you know, we we set these, these revolutions in, in motion and then it's only a little bit down the track. Suddenly we realise, oh, uh-oh. You know, un- un- unintended, unintended consequences. And, and when you talk about, you know, some of these things like, Hey, let's genetically engineer bees, you know, to make whatever. I just think, Oh, you know, <laughs> what sort of, you know, GMO <laughs> bees are we going to release on the world and what unintended consequences are, are there? I mean, do you, are you hopeful that humanity will be able to find the answers to these problems or are you a, a, a bit dubious or somewhere in the middle or, or what? Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, in terms of engineering bacteria to produce various things, one of the really great success stories along that is um, the production of insulin so that insulin-dependent diabetics, they just used to die, you know, (laughs) whereas now we've had great success with being able to synthetically produce insulin and now they don't have to die, you know. So we do have some great success stories. I think we just have to keep on doing the best we can and looking for the best solutions and really thinking through those, the whole life cycle of, of 
the solution that we come up with. I think a big part of the problem, and I hate to say it, but a big part of the problem is our population in mm. terms of globally we have so many people and we have rising standards of living, quite understandably, that we, you know, whatever we do, we do it on such a decimating scale, you know, whatever we produce, we have to produce so much of it to feed or satisfy the enormous population that we have. I think that's a big part of the problem and that's not necessarily going to go away, but, you know, that's where we have to become really clever and hopefully, you know, just really care, you know, care about our earth. And there's obviously a lot of people that do, but sadly there are some people out there who sort of don't and who think there's no problem and that, you know, everything's just hunky-dory and we're overstating the situation. But, yeah, hopefully, yeah, I'm probably in the middle there somewhere that we can come up with some really good solutions, but we do have a lot of challenges along the way, particularly from a population perspective. Yeah, I I think the I probably tend not to be quite so you know negative on the population sort of side of things because uh, i believe it's due to sort of flatten out you know the curve is due to flatten out by about 2050 i think they say in yeah. in europe population statistics are actually going backwards at the minute well if, if it wasn't for um, immigration from from other countries so but i think you make a really good point to say that if all you know seven billion of us on this planet all expect to consume at western country sort of levels well you know even if there isn't a huge increase in population that is going to be a you know a huge burden on on the earth's resources yeah i think you you'll probably you've probably heard the saying we don't need to do it perfectly we don't you know every you know if, if you're concerned about plastic you don't have to totally get yourself into a knot to make your life completely plastic free and and all that sort of thing. As they say, you know, it just takes a heck of a lot of people doing a little bit, making a small change. Mm. I just read an article recently about how much plastic waste comes out of hospitals because there's an enormous amount of single-use plastic used in the medical and health industries because of sterilisation and hygiene issues. Yeah, yeah. And it was looking at if they replace just one particular product with a reusable, sterilizable product like they used to use, you know, if they went back to that sort of a product, I don't know if it was a single hospital or I can't quite remember now, but it was something like, you know, 20 billion tonnes of plastic waste that would be saved just from changing one product's use, you know. So it just takes a lot of us making some small changes mm-hmm. can make a significant difference. Yeah, yeah. You know, Julie, I, I guess I, I really get a sense that there's a similar theme sort of developing like in in your writing. So the, the last article you wrote for us, which was late last year, that was called Pestilence, that seems incredibly mm. relevant right now with the COVID-19 <laughs> crisis, you know, oh my talk, yeah, yeah. Talk, talked about how climate change is basically having an, an effect of, of releasing new bacteria, like new mosquito-borne diseases, you know, or, and then we have superbugs in hospitals, um, you know, because of possibly, you know, overuse of antibiotics. And, and and now we've got this sort of this you know COVID nineteen situation which you know appears to be from you know eating animals that probably were you know well were never supposed to be eaten and coming possibly coming into contact with those wild animals because of environmental destruction deforestation you know to to the point where and, and I guess poverty overpopulation you know to the point where 
people feel that they want to eat a you know a bat or a or a pangolin, you know, a scaly anteater or, or whatever. And it just really seems to me that in in all of these cases, humanity, like we've sort of brought this on ourselves in in some sense. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you list off an incredibly incredible complex lot of issues. You know, there's there's so many challenges and difficulties going on in the world. I, I guess a lot of us are just doing the best we can and getting along in life. I mean, there are probably a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, but at the top echelon of money makers, perhaps, who you know have a real focus on making money and aren't as concerned with what sort of impact they have on the environment. And, yeah, you know, it really comes down a lot to the fact that we really like our standard of living and our lifestyle and we haven't really been concerned about what effects and consequences that has for the, the planet. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, we, we really have to take responsibility for that. You know, I think, as I said in this article, actually, you know, there may be no perfect solution to the problem of plastic waste, but if you enjoy this beautiful planet that we have, we can't turn a blind eye, and I think that's what it comes down to. If you if you like where you live, if you love this planet and, and you know, all the beauty that we have and the incredible creatures and animals and ecosystems, you know, there's there's so much beauty and, and wonder in this world. If we want to protect that and keep it, then we, we can't do nothing. We have to at least try and do the best we can. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see your point. I guess I just... I just had the sense that sometimes we are, you know, taken with our own cleverness and we should be realizing by now that we're sometimes not as clever as we, as we think we are. We maybe need to be a little bit more cautious, a a little bit more careful. And I guess I, you know, just think of some of that ancient wisdom, you know, from the Bible that makes it clear that we as humanity, you know, have a really important responsibility when it comes to the natural world. You know, we, we're here to look after it. We have a, a job of, of stewardship. It's not, you know, something we, we should be neglecting. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I have to say my worldview has always been Christian worldview and I've grown up, you know, with a belief that Jesus will eventually come back and, and put everything right and make everything right. And it's it's actually allowed me to, I guess, live a life without being really worried and, and, you know, depressed about the state of the world. But I think you're right. We can't just kind of sit back and go, it's okay, God's going to fix it all one day. He actually does expect us, if we look at the Bible, he does actually expect us to look after the world while we're in it now, not just, you know, trash it and wait for him to come back and fix it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess it's it's probably wrong in some ways to sort of separate you know the natural world from our fellow human beings i mean we're all you know god's creations we're all we're all precious we're all worth looking after and perhaps you know i guess like you say we need to direct a little more of our cleverness at um making sure we we are you know looking after each other and and looking after the uh the planet we've we've been gifted with you know during the the short time you know perhaps that we we still have it yeah absolutely yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Julie. I really appreciate you being part of uh, Signs of the Times Radio this week. And thanks also for yeah for writing for us in the March edition of the of the magazine. My pleasure. Thank you very much too, Kent. I appreciate it. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. 
Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. 